0: Give me, give me just a minute to kind of back into this, and we'll get to our topic this morning. Let me start with this first. So pay attention, lean in, and let me get there in about two or three minutes. People, most people, most of the time, do not live according to what they have learned. And most people, most of the time, do not live according to what they believe. Most people most of the time live in category number three. Let me illustrate this. Most people in a first world, you're in the first world, you have learned some things about diet and nutrition. And even though you have learned about diet and nutrition, and even though you believe that diet and nutrition are good, that doesn't mean that you're gonna what? You're not gonna do it, right? So again, most people, most of the time, do not live according to what they have learned. Most people, most of the time, do not live according to even what they believe. Most people live most of the time out of what is called, and I'll get to category number three in just a minute. So let me give you some more examples of this. So how many of you in the room know that broccoli, spinach, and asparagus are good for you? How many of you know that? All right? How many of you in the room eat broccoli? Really? Okay. How many of you in the room eat spinach? How many of you in the room eat asparagus? Look at this room. This is like the healthiest church in America. Like, okay. Wow. That is amazing. So, um, do you really like asparagus? That is gross. That is just absolutely gross. All right. So, so this is like you just ruined my whole illustration. Okay. All right. So you believe that this is good for you, you've learned this, and you believe it, and you actually do it, I guess, right? Over, over French fries. And so, when you think about this, most people don't live out of just what they've learned, because you've learned a whole lot of things, and there are some things that you, you've, you really believe, but until it gets to category number three, convictions. Most people, most of the time, live out of their convictions. And you can see this. There are people that are in jail who believe stealing's wrong, right? There are people in jail who believe that it's wrong to be a, a thief, but they're not convicted not to steal or not to commit fraud. So again, most people what? Most people, most of the time, live out of what they not have learned, not even what they believe. Most people live out of their convictions. Now, how in the world did Joseph at age 26 when Mrs. Potiphar, and she was probably attractive, um, she didn't work, she had all those treatments, and she probably had all the clothes, and stuff. How, did, how did Joseph not take her advances? Did Joseph, and the Ten Commandments hadn't all been figured out yet, but did Joseph know about the morality of God? If he did, did he know about the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. Did he, did he learn them? Did he learn about, did he believe them? Absolutely. But it wasn't what he learned, it wasn't what he believed, it was Joseph's convictions. I probably today will not teach you anything you don't already know. And I'm not sure that anybody in the room will leave with a different belief system. As you came in believing about our topic this morning, you will probably leave this morning believing exactly the same thing. But it's over here in category number three, it's your convictions. I want to drive deeper. It's your convictions that I want to put a flag in the ground and see if we can make some progress. Because most people, most of the time, live out not what they believe, not even what they've learned, but they live out of their conviction. So here we go Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Now this is the same Joseph who was at age 17 at the family dinner, wearing the special coat, decides to tell all of his older brothers, I had a couple dreams. And my dream was the sun, the moon, the stars, and they all bowed down to me. And the father's going, does that mean your mother and I and all your brothers? Yeah, that's what it means. You're all going to be following me someday. I'll be leading you. And by the way, I had another dream about like these 11 stalks of grain, and all these 11 stalks of grain like rose up, and they all bowed down to me. And they're going, great, Joseph, great. So, a, you know, a little time elapses, and now the father sends Joseph to go check on the boys, which means Joseph wasn't working. He wasn't in the fields. He wasn't watching the flocks. It means Joseph's wearing his special coat, drinking a bunch of iced tea, having a pretty co- cush life. And so now they, the brothers see him at a distance. They know he's there to check up on them, And they say to themselves, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. One of the brothers named Reuben said, that's not a good idea. Let's throw him into a cistern, throw him into a well. And the reason I'm going to throw him into the well is I'm hoping to get him back to our dad a little later time. But Reuben gets distracted, and Judah, of the tribe of Judah, this brother Judah said, let's sell him. And so they sell Joseph to a band of Ishmaelites. And the band of Ishmaelites ultimately then sells Joseph to Potiphar. And Potiphar is the captain of the guard. Potiphar's like the secretary of defense. Potiphar's like Mad Dog Mattis for us, okay? This is who Potiphar is. So here's the story. He'd been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. That makes sense? No? All right, so far, so good. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, the next verse talks about Joseph's success. This verse talks about Joseph being prosperous. Could it be that you would be more or less prosperous because of your convictions? In other words, is there any correlation between your success and your prosperity and the convictions that you've chosen to live in? The answer is absolutely. And if we had time, we'd have a whole sermon on that, and I want to preach on that someday. But your convictions, whoops, sorry about that, your convictions will move you toward prosperity or it will move you toward pro- poverty. The Lord was with Joseph. He prospered. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him what? What's it say? Success. In everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. So there's a transference now, even a favor. Even though Potiphar was not following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was not following the Hebrew God... Because of the convictions of a man in his house, a godly man in his house, there was a spillover even of prosperity and success. From the time you put him in charge, God blessed him. God blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Very interesting. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. Don't miss this. Both in the house and in the field, which is where? Everything. It's everywhere. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, here's where the movie begins to change scenes. Okay, Here's where the violins come in. This is now a scene change. Everything so far so good, now we're getting ready to amp it up to a different level. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Why in the world would it tell us that? Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, because you know the story, don't you? You know what's coming. How did Joseph do what he did? Just because of what he had learned? Nope. Just because of what he believed? Absolutely not. But he had convictions. Before he ever gets himself in this situation, he had already made up his mind what he would do and what he would not do in those heats of battle. And After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. And she said, she was pretty subtle, wasn't she? Very, very subtle woman here. She said, well, come to bed with me. Uh, not subtle at all. Did he understand what she was asking? Did he get it? Of course he got it, all right? So the question then is, how did he refuse? Because the very next verse, verse 8 says, but he refused. The next three words, but he refused. And so maybe you're asking yourself the question, why did he? Why did he refuse? Why didn't he just give in? And this is what I want to talk about just for a minute about the Christian narrative. Now, if you're not a believer and you're not a part of the Christian narrative, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, why would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody want to to have purity? And this is about purity. You can be married and be pure or impure. You can be single and be pure or impure. This is a biblical concept in the Christian narrative about about purity. Are there benefits of purity? Are are there advantages if I stay loyal or stay faithful, whether I'm single or, or whether I'm married? Well, the Christian narrative says that there is. And the Christian narrative says, this is how you were wired. There's gender, there's male, there's female, there's the opportunity to go forward in a very intimate sexual relationship, and it's within the covenant of marriage. And so the Bible's really clear about this. But let's say that you're going, I don't, I don't really want to live like that. I don't really want to be a part of that. And the rationale is pretty easy. It's like, my goodness, look how God made us. I mean, like, I'm like this airplane engine, I got my jets are on fire, and you won't even let me get off the runway or I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and it's a food court out there everywhere you go, everywhere you look. It's a food court, and you're telling me I've got to be on a diet, or really you're telling me I have to fast? And so I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I get it. It's every man's battle. But I want to tell you a little bit about the Christian narrative, because God wired you for purity, whether you're married or whether you're single. And God is saying to you, you're going to be better, and you're going to be better off if you follow what I am trying to teach you. Now, that's the interesting part, because when you look at what God teaches in the entire 66 books of the Bible about marriage, about singleness, about faithfulness, about purity, about holiness, about separating yourself, when you, when you realize it's in every, it's in every book. It's, it's not like in one or two books. There's something about holiness, marriage, purity, sexual immorality, sexual integrity in all 66 books. In fact, I thought it'd be a great sermon to take each book and like go through the entire Bible and mention all those references. Then I realized we would be here until Christmas Eve. Okay, we would never we would never get through it. So I just want to mention a few of these because right off the bat, God's talking about the the blessings. Of sexual integrity. And he makes male, he makes female, he puts them together, and he encourages them to uh, have dominion over the earth, and he encourages them to, to have children. And so it's God's will that, that there be babies and, and have children. But, but the other part of the story is God has prohibitions. And God's going, I'm against adultery. In the book of Genesis, I'm against adultery. I'm against homosexuality. I'm against incest. I'm against rape. Those are the four big stories in the book of Genesis. God says, I'm against adultery. It hurts everybody. It hurts the community. Everybody loses. I'm against homosexuality because I want children. Two males can't have a kid and two women can't have a kid. I want babies. I'm so against rape. I'm so against incest. And so in the book of Genesis alone you have the four big stories. Then you go to the book of Exodus. And Exodus then dials it up then about while Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments of God from the angel, while Moses is there, all, all of a sudden he realizes that his people are down there and, and they've thrown in the gold and out comes his golden calf, a bull. And what they're doing is they're participating in some of the pagan worship from the Egyptians. Now I know we've got Coptic Christians and I know they're in the room right now. This is not what I'm talking about. This is the pagan sexual orgies that came from the Egyptians. And he's saying to the people, you cannot participate in that. So we go from Genesis to Exodus now to the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, it's got the four big ones and stay away from the pagan Egyptian worship. And now the book of Leviticus amps it up with bestiality I'm not about to touch that one today. You can read that on your own. It goes X-rated real quick, okay? So you can read that on your own later on today. Then then we go from Genesis to Exodus and Leviticus to Numbers and Deuteronomy. And Numbers and Deuteronomy are saying, stay away from the ites. All the Canaanites are going to lead you astray because all their worship is sexual. We've got gas stations on every corner. We've got restaurants everywhere you go. They had temples, and they had brothels, and it was acceptable by everyone. The married women had friends and lovers and boyfriends and girlfriends. It was just part of their culture. You're a 30-year-old Hebrew male. You've got to come to grips with, I'm going to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to be morally pure with one woman, one wife for a lifetime, Or I can do what the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Amorites and all the ites are doing. And buddy, it is a party. And you're a 30-year-old male. Do you think you're going to be tempted to go toward the ites? And that's exactly what took place. And, And then you just keep going and you realize that half of the Old Testament are the minor and the major prophets. A minor prophet just means it's smaller. A major prophet just means it's a larger book. And so half of the Old Testament is about the Philistines and the Philistine worship that, again, is just sexual immorality, and the Philistine worship is going to lead you into a ditch. And even though they could learn this, and they learned it from other neighbors, and even though they could believe that God was true, unless they had the convictions, they wouldn't live that lifestyle, which is absolutely my point this morning with you and with me. I don't think you're going to learn anything this morning. I don't think I'm going to change your beliefs this morning, but I certainly am trying to shore up your convictions this morning. So here's just right in the middle of the Bible in the book of Proverbs. It just has a couple of verses about adultery. I just want to read them to you. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. It's talking about people who commit adultery. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes burning? What's the answer to that? You can't, can you? Okay. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? What's the answer to that? You, you, you can't. So here's what he says. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping in to the noose. Okay. Well, this is the big why. If you don't understand the Christian narrative, if you've never heard the Christian narrative, this is why. You were not wired for sexual immorality. You just weren't. You can not like it. You can not appreciate this. You can wish it was different. You can have all the woulda, coulda, should as you want to. But you and I were wired for holiness and purity. Because Here's what he says. He says, flee from sexual immorality. But here's the why. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. You can steal something. You can lie about something. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And and, and that's his point. The point is sexual sin is like the boomerang that comes back and bites you. Sexual sin harms you. It hurts you. Do you not know that your body's the temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? You, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So I was, I was out fishing about a month and a half ago, and we were out about 20 miles, and we had a great fishing day, and we had like 35 legal keeper fish, and we're just about to come back in. And one of the guys on the boat, a doctor, he's a surgeon from North Carolina. And somehow we start talking about sexual integrity. And I'm not really even sure how we got on the topic. But he said to me a word picture that I will never forget. Um, before I give you the, the answer to that, it's like you think about like an umbrella. The, the purpose of an umbrella is like to protect you. And so an umbrella will protect you from the rain... It will protect you from the sun. An umbrella will protect your skin. It will protect you from some heat. Uh, An umbrella is designed to protect you. And what he said to me was something I will never forget. And he said the reason that spiritual leaders and spiritual men want to have sexual integrity, and it's not just limited to men, is he said because when you have sexual immorality, he said you really, you're poking holes in your umbrella. And he said, what What man, he said, wants to have holes in his umbrella? I thought, what a word picture. What an incredible word picture. There's not a man in this room, there's not a woman in this room that wants to look like this. Nobody wants this. But this is what happens when there's a lack of sexual integrity in your life and in my life. And the surgeon's given me this word picture out 20 miles in the Gulf of Mexico. And I thought, that is so good because none of us want this. And so are there really benefits then of moral integrity? And, and are, they, are they a fight that we're worth being convicted over? I, I think the answer is yes, because all of us in this room really want an umbrella that works. And we really want the protection that we give to our families and to our neighbors and our friends and our sons and our daughters. No, nobody wants this. So, so what's at stake? Well, in, in my life, if I'm over here and I've just let this slip through my life into my son, into my two son-in-laws, into my two daughters into my wife. And I want to give you a word picture today that you will hopefully never forget. Everybody makes their own choices. Everybody makes their own decisions. But you want to set your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers up for success. You want to be that umbrella of protection that allows the Holy Spirit to work in his life, in her life. You don't want to be the cause of those holes coming through your watch. Now, this is not to beat anybody up. We have all sinned sexually. Every one of us in this room over a certain age, we have messed up, and you cannot unscramble eggs. You can't crack an egg and put it back into the shell. Everybody in this room, even Jesus said, if you've looked at a person with lust, you commit adultery in your heart, it's going, oh my gosh, the standard's so high absolutely. But there are things that we can do, and it all boils down to, I don't think it boils down to what you've learned. I don't even think it boils down to what you believe. I think it boils down to your convictions. So here's what Joseph did. Potiphar's wife, she keeps making advances, very unsubtle, come to bed with me, and it says, but he refused. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Which, which really says then that when you do this, what, what that really means is Ultimately, though it impacts your children and your spouse and your neighbors and your aunt and uncle, nieces, nephews, your co co-workers, ultimately, though, it's against God. It's against your heavenly father. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. That's amazing. That's pretty cool, isn't it? How a 26-year-old, well-built and handsome, it said. And the boss's wife is coming at you again and again and again and again, and he says, uh-uh. So how do we get there? How can I help you with your convictions? Well, my first attempt here is to be a little bit humorous. Here's the first solution I have for you. Gouge out your eyes with a spoon. <laughs> that ain't going to work, is it? that's not going to work. Why? It, it, it's the commercials during the World Series. It's everywhere. It's every, it, it, that isn't going to work. You can't go to the mall. You can't watch a movie. You can't watch TV. You can't pick up a magazine. It, it's, it's everywhere. You cannot gouge out your You cannot have a holy huddle, a little bubble, and ignore truth and reality. That, that won't work. You can avoid some of this, but you can't avoid all of it, right? But I think we can learn how temptation works. And temptation always begins in the mind. This is where temptation starts. It starts in my mind. It's how I think. I have another suggestion. Be aware of situations where you are vulnerable. In other words, learn where you're tempted. Learn when you're tempted. Learn the people who tempt you. Learn the places that are tempting to you. And, and so when you think about Jesus... When Jesus had those three great temptations, I think those were really temptations to Jesus. And so it's interesting that, that it was those three and not like two or three others. But those three, I believe, were truly temptations to Jesus. So in other words, you're not tempted in exactly the same way as everybody else in the room. All of us in this room probably are tempted just a little bit. But you've got to know where you're tempted. You've got to know when you're tempted. What are the triggers in your life? I think it's important for you to develop a purity strategy before you're in the heat of battle. I am confident that he did not, Joseph, figure this out on the fly. There is no way he could do what he did if he had not thought this through before it happened. And then lastly, do whatever it takes to maintain purity. You may have to flee. You may have to. And so let's just be real practical for a second. If you're willing to develop a strategy for this, what, what does that look like? Well, let me ask you just a couple more questions for you to think about. Why, why would you ever ride in a car with, if, if you're married or if she's married, why, why would you ever ride in a car with someone five or ten years plus or minus your age? Why, why would you ever ride in a car with someone that is married or you're married, and, and she's not or he's not? Why would we ever do that? Why would we ride in a car? Why would we ever go to lunch? Why would we ever have a business lunch with just the person of the opposite sex, unless both of you are single? Why Why, why would you ever do that? Why would you have texts, texting someone of who, who's taken or you're taken? Why, why would you Why would you text someone? Again, there's a couple of exceptions, and I I get that. But I'm talking about when you catch yourself going, I really want to text her. I really want to text him. Why, Why would we ever discuss marital issues or marital problems with a person of the opposite sex? One of our elders is so smart, so wise. On all of his emails, when it's to a female, he copies his wife, She's just CC'd on that. I thought that was brilliant that he copied his wife. You see, I think today is a day to think about what are your convictions. And guess what? At, at your age, the folks on the front rows at your age, man, this is the time to come up with what are my convictions. It, it's not time to come up with your convictions when you're in somebody else's house And the shades are drawn. At that point, it's too late. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to go forward. We're going to go forward. Now, if you've really messed up in this area, which all of us in the room have, I think you pray for crop failure. okay? Because you're going to reap what you sow. And you're going to always reap more than what you sow. And so we pray for crop failure. But I also believe that we go forward now with the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ will move us from here to here. And the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you and me of all our unrighteousness. And we, we go forward. We, we step ahead. We, we go ahead. We go forward. So I, I want to encourage you today and maybe this week Figure out your convictions. And maybe you do it if you're a man with another guy you trust. Ladies with another lady you trust. Maybe maybe you do this in, in tandem. Maybe you do this with some partners. Maybe you have some people and you come up with some game plans together. The place to always start is with Christ. And every Lord's Day, we give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. There's nothing more important today than accepting Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. Let him forgive you of all of your sins and cleansing you from all unrighteousness. That's the most important thing you can do. But also today, I'm, I'm wanting to help. And I know that people don't really live most of the time out of what they have learned. And they don't live most of the time even out of what they believe. Most people, most of the time, live out of what are their convictions. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And if you'd like some help with this topic, if you want to be prayed for, be prayed over, if you'd like somebody to help you with this, if you want to give your life to Jesus, now is the time, now is the moment. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords and we worship you, we praise you, we're thankful for all the good and perfect things that you do in our lives. Now we come before you and we say, cleanse us. And we say, change us. And we say, help us with our convictions to be in line with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.